There are a lot of temptations in the world and in life and in Christian life that cause us to think maybe we have made it. Maybe we have reached our goal. I uh, can think of a few sort of in, in, in individual life and also in church life that might grab us. Uh, perhaps it might be an achievement. Uh, I finally understood something about the Christian faith I've been wrestling with for a long time. Fantastic, I've, I've made it. I'm there. Uh, or perhaps there was that sin that troubled me for years, and you know what, it, it hasn't cropped up for two or three weeks now. I've made it. I'm there. Or, or perhaps as a church, uh, some sort of milestone in church life that might cause us to think we've made it. For example, deciding on a future pastor. Uh, could cause us to think, great, that's the tricky bit done. We've made it. It might not be because of achievement. It might be just because we've decided that we can settle for where we are now. We might decide that we've made it just because we've given up fighting that sin, actually. Perhaps we can't beat it. Perhaps it's better if we just make peace. And then we might think we've made it. Or it might be that we, as a church community, decide that we're just resigned to the fact that we're not going to have very much impact on our local community. We're not seeing many people come to Christ. Maybe we've just become okay with that. We think we've made it because we've stopped really trying. Or it might be uh, because of misapplied theology. It might be because we've got something brilliant in the gospel... And then we've drawn very bad conclusions from it. Now, that is what seems to be going on in the letter to the Philippians this morning. You remember last week, Matt took us through the early part of chapter 3, so he got the exciting bit with Paul uh, launching uh, his attack on the dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Um, There's nothing so exciting. No, there is. It's good today as well. But uh, Paul is warning them there about people who would make their relationship with God depend on anything other than what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them. Whether it's their Jewish descent, or their circumcision, or the good things that they have done. Paul has said, he said last week to us, don't let anybody trick you into basing your confidence on those things. Don't let anybody lead you astray into thinking that what you have done is what finally counts. It is not that. It is what Jesus has done. It is not your righteousness worked up through your own doing and activity. It is the righteousness that comes purely from trusting in the Lord Jesus. That is what will establish you in relationship with God. But as we see that, as we get a hold of that glorious truth, It's not what I do, but what God has done for me. There is this danger. We may think, and Paul seems to think that the Philippian Christians might think, okay, time to sit back. Time to relax. All the work is done. God is doing it. Therefore, if I've just trusted in Jesus, I've made it. I'm there. Now I can just sit out life, wait it out, Heaven is coming. Paul says, no, fairly loudly and clearly. No, 
For Paul, the Christian life is a race. He uses that image in lots of his letters. It is about running a race. And he uses that image here. It is the heavenward race. See? There's a heading that says it and everything. Look, if we thought that the Christian life wouldn't include a lot of effort, Paul is pretty quick to disabuse us. He's talked about the wonders of knowing Christ, of being conformed to his character. But then he says, in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. I'm not there yet, he says. I haven't got there yet. But I am pressing on. Pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, the Christian life is about knowing Christ better, being shaped by him more and more. And that is an ongoing process. It is a race to run. It is pushing on. And Paul uses that language which evokes effort. I press on, he says in verse 12. I press on, he says in verse 14. In verse 13, he says, I'm straining forwards. And the images of the athlete straining towards the finish line. Um, I don't think they dipped in those days. I think they would have run like this. But he's pushing on. It is effort. Now, athletics looks like really hard work to me. Um, I can't say that I've ever voluntarily run anywhere myself. (laughs) But when I've seen people running, (laughs) particularly at a high level, I've thought, that looks like hard work. (laughs) And so if, like me, you're not somebody who naturally correlates hard work and joy... You might be left thinking, if the Christian life is all about pressing on, pushing on, straining forwards, running the race, where is the joy that Paul has been continually exhorting us to through this letter? Remember the beginning of chapter 3? Finally, my brothers and sisters, oh, it says further in this version, it's finally in Greek, but maybe they thought that was just a wind-up since there were two more chapters. Further, (laughs) my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says that again and again and again. Rejoice. Rejoice because it is all done for you. Rejoice because you have Jesus' righteousness. But then how can I rejoice if my life is this hard? If it is pushing on? If it is straining like an athlete for the finish line? Where is the joy? And actually, how is this different to what Paul's dogs and evildoers were teaching earlier on in the chapter? How is this different? How is it that this is not just the same as them? After all, they wanted me to work hard as well. They wanted me to press on to the finish line. They wanted me to put effort into knowing God. Paul, how is what you are saying different to what they are saying? Well, I want to suggest that there are a few things, three main things. The first one is this. This is not a race to establish my righteousness. It is not a race to get into God's good books. It is not a race where every step decides whether God loves me and is favourable to me or not. It is a race to enjoy the things that God has already given me. It is a race to know more and more how good it is to be in Christ. 
to be someone with whom God is already well-pleased because we are in his son Jesus and God is well-pleased with his son. That is a completely different kettle of fish, uh, to mix metaphors extremely. There is no anxiety involved in that race. There's no wondering whether I've done enough. There is just day by day saying, I want to know more of what God has done for me, and I'm going to push forward into that. I'm going to strain to taste every blessing that God has for me in Christ today. Knowing Christ, as far as Paul is concerned, is the very best thing of all. He illustrates that magnificently in chapter 1 by saying, I would rather die and be with Christ because that is far, far better than anything else on offer. Knowing Christ, that is an amazing thing, a wonderful thing, the source of all joy. To run that race, maybe hard work, will involve effort, will involve me straining forwards, not sitting back. But fundamentally, it's still a fun run. It's joy all the way, because it is running deeper into what God has done for me in Jesus. Just in practice, that has an effect on what I do. When I sit down in the morning to read my Bible and to pray, why am I doing that? Is it because I know I've got to make an effort to get into God's good books? Or is it because I want to make an effort to know the Lord Jesus better today? Do you see the difference that there is in that? It's a race to know Christ. It's also a race which is not actually dependent on us for the outcome. This is pretty odd in a race, but this is the way it is. Paul says, God started this race. Christ Jesus, he says in 3 verse 12, took hold of me. God, he says in verse 14, called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't just arbitrarily decide to start running. God called him to it. God initiated it. God put him on the racetrack and set him off. And God is going to finish the race as well. 3 verse 20. We eagerly await the Saviour from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's very different to run a race uh, where you're trying to live up to the standards of God and continually failing and seeing the finish line recede as you run. Can you imagine anything more depressing? I am running my race. I don't know what running looks like. I'm running my race. And there are a couple of guys who are much faster than me holding either end of the tape at the finish line, and they're running as well. I'm never going to catch up with them. Paul says, that is what a race would be like if we were running to establish our own righteousness But the Lord Jesus is coming from heaven for us to restore all things and to raise us up. The finish line is rushing towards us. It's a happier situation to be in if you're racing. In all of our effort, and we should be making an effort, 
we need to remember this is God's work. He started us off knowing Christ, and he is going to get us to the end. He is going to bring the finish line to us, because the Lord Jesus will come from heaven to restore all things. And then there's another thing. This race is oriented to the future and not to the past. I press on to take hold, he says. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you all of the things that are in the past. Every single sin you have committed is in your past. It's the way time works. All of your achievements are in your past. Everything that you could measure yourself by and say, how am I doing? That is in the past. And Paul says, I am forgetting all of that, the bad stuff and the good stuff. And I'm pressing on towards Christ Jesus because God has called me upwards in him, heavenwards in him. My focus then is different. I'm not continually looking back over my shoulder to see whether I've done enough. I'm looking forwards to Christ who called me and will get me there. And that changes the shape of the race completely. I remember uh, once uh, at the end of a year, I don't know if you ever do this, the end of a year, albeit it's a completely arbitrary mark on the calendar, seems like a good time to sit down and assess how are things going, how are we doing. And uh, I remember at the end of one year sitting down, and uh, this was the conclusion that I came up with. Uh, This year, I have done some things that are bad enough to deserve hell, and some things that are not good enough to deserve heaven. And that's it. And Paul says, forget what is past. Look forwards. What is your identity made up of? Are you, as a person, the sum total of all your past experiences, successes and failures, triumphs and mistakes? Is that who you are? Paul says, don't be that person. Be that person, the person who is called to run towards the Lord Jesus Christ, who is promised that they will be in his presence and be like him. Have that as your focus, and that changes everything. No more anxiety. Identity and status, not any longer based on this story that I can tell about my past, but based on this story that I can tell about my future. I'm going to be with my Lord. He'll wipe away every tear, clear up every mess that I've made, take the puny little good things that I've done and make them glorious in the tapestry of his whole story of the universe. There is glory ahead. And Paul says, run for that, forgetting what is behind. I guess I have some questions for us. Some questions for my heart and for yours and for us as a church community. Are we pressing on? Are we stretching forward? 
Are we straining for the finish line? I have a horrible suspicion that most of the time I am sitting back. For an awful lot of the time, I'm more interested in watching TV than I am in knowing Christ better. Is anything wrong with watching TV? I like a bit of TV. Do I show this sort of zeal and desire to know the Lord Jesus, to be like him? Raises the question, have I believed, really, that knowing Jesus is the best thing? Is knowing Jesus the best thing for me this week? Or will it be better for me to get an extra half hour in bed every morning? Is knowing Jesus the best thing for me this week? Or will it be better for me to catch up on my reruns of the Big Bang Theory? What is the best thing? Now, what I don't want you to do is to pick that up and run with it and make yourself guilty. What we must not do if we're reading this passage, the passage that Paul has written, is start to assess our past week and say, I've done fairly poorly. I've not loved Christ this week. Maybe you can do that briefly. There's nothing wrong with a brief glance back over your shoulder. But now, forget what is behind and push on. There is another week coming in which God's mercies are new every morning and in which we can get to know the Lord Jesus better than we ever have done in the past, be shaped more and more into his likeness, display his character and glory to the world. Let's run into that week. Let's run into that week. Put some effort in. And then I wonder, how much of my life actually is defined by those glances back over my shoulder? How often do I fail to live for Christ in the here and now because I remember that I failed to do it in the past and I almost don't dare to try again? How much do I rest on my past achievements rather than pushing on to the works that God is calling me to today. What about us as a church? This is a transition period. It's been mentioned several times already this morning. There's a lot of change. What are we going to do with it? Is it a launching point for us to go forwards together, to know Christ better and to make him known more? Or are we going to collapse Are we going to say, well, that was exhausting. Now let's take a breather. This could be the time when God calls us onwards. I believe it is. How are we going to respond together? In this passage, uh, Paul outlines a few things that could hinder us in running the race, and a couple of things that are going to help us. So I just want to touch on those briefly, and uh, I promised the people in crash there wouldn't be a long one, so it will be brief. Some hindrances. First one is uh, ignorance. Have a look at uh, verse 15 and 16 of chapter 3. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently... That too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. 
I think Paul is saying, if you disagree with me about what the Christian life is about, if you haven't quite got it yet, well, I'm confident that God will show you what is right in time. And in the meantime, just try to live out what you do understand. Live up to what you have got. It's interesting to me that um, Paul is so relaxed about this. Uh, I think sometimes if we see somebody who we think has got it wrong, somebody is wrong about theology, quick, get the heavies in. It can panic us. Paul says, so long as you're running, so long as you're seeking to know Jesus better, I can have faith that God is going to sort out that stuff for you. And in the meantime, just live for Christ as best you can. Live up to what you understand. I think that'd be great um, for us as a church if we could have that sort of character and confidence in God. We don't have to keep picking little fights about things we disagree about. If you're wrong, if you're seeking Jesus, then God will show you where you're wrong and will put you right. It's not my business to do it. If you're really wrong, I might. (laughs) There's ignorance. And that will hold us back. But so long as we run, so long as we live up to what we do get, God will put us right. There's opposition as well, chapter 3, verse 18. As I have often told you before, and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Uh, He's probably referring back to the dogs from the beginning of the chapter. And he is saying, these are bad examples for you. Here are people who will trip you up. They are opposed to the cross of Christ. Notice he doesn't say they're enemies of Christ. It's interesting that he puts it that way. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. It may be that these people name the name of Christ. They are actually quite excited about Jesus in some ways. They want to teach you to follow Jesus better. But they will minimize the cross because they want to be accepted in the world. Finally, Paul summarizes it summarize it is it as their mind is set on earthly things they're in the here and now that heavenward call of god in christ jesus is of no particular interest to them they want to be accepted now they want to fit in now they want to have a comfortable life and paul says remember where your citizenship is Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship is probably quite a big thing in Philippi. It's a Roman colony. The Philippian Christians may well have been Roman citizens, people who enjoyed the status of belonging to Rome. They were used to fitting in, to a certain extent being part of the elite, some of them. Paul says, your citizenship now is in heaven. And you have to be willing to accept the fact that that will mean the cross for you. It will mean struggles. It will mean being opposed and looked down on. But remember, your citizenship is in heaven and the Lord Jesus is coming from there to save you. That is going to happen. Be confident in it. And don't fall for those who promise you an easy life now, a life without the cross, a Christianity without suffering. 
there's ignorance, there's opposition. There are also arguments. Um, this is incredibly mundane, isn't it, when you get to chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Um, it turns out people have been arguing in the church. I don't suppose we would really know what that was like. Um, but just imagine some sort of dissension did arise. This is the sort of thing that saps our energy, stops us from running, makes it hard to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, makes coming together as a church, which should be the time when our eyes are lifted upwards, into a hard time and a struggle, when we're just aware of the the lingering resentments that there are. Paul's answer is simple. I have the same mind in the Lord. I don't think he's saying... Just adjust all of your opinions so that they're absolutely identical. I think he is saying, focus on the Lord Jesus. Have the same mind when you consider the things that you have in common because of him. When you understand that in him you are both accepted in Christ by God, make that the central thing in your minds, and you will find that those arguments and disagreements that you have are smaller than you originally thought helps us to get things in perspective. Well, those are the hindrances. And there are two big helps. The first one is examples in chapter 3, verse 17. Join together, says Paul, in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, Paul is not the example. That is Jesus. But he is an example. And in the race metaphor, he is saying, your eyes are ultimately on the finish line where Jesus waits for you. But there are also runners ahead of you who are showing you it can be done. Press on. Follow that guy. He's doing it right. He's running well. And Paul says, make use of those examples. We sometimes shy away from this because we don't want to put human beings on a pedestal. And there is a danger The guy you're currently following, as an example, may trip up, may make a mess of the race. But it doesn't mean that for now you shouldn't follow him or her. Keep your eyes forwards. See those who are running well ahead of you. They may be people who have completed the race, who have gone to glory. It's great uh, to read a bit of biography and to, to see what people have done in the name of Jesus in the past. There may be people who are just a little bit older than you in the church, or even just a little bit further on in the faith. People we can look towards and draw encouragement from as we run. And then there are also companions. Chapter 4, verse 3. I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. There are those who are running just ahead of us, And there are also those who are running by our side. People who are going through the same struggles we are, who face the same difficulties we do. And Paul says, encourage one another. Help one another out. Run the race together. I think that's a bit of a challenge to us as a church. I think that insofar as we are concerned about spiritual progress at all, and insofar as we do want to press on, We tend to see that as a very individual business. 
you have your walk with the Lord, and I have my walk with the Lord, and so long as I can put on a decent front on a Sunday, it's none of your business. And Paul just doesn't see it that way. And I think we need to be thinking, how can we encourage one another and spur one another on? How can you make me want to know Jesus better this week? How can I do the same for you? It's going to involve us uh, having conversations which will embarrass us. But let's be honest, we don't really like talking about God all that much. It feels deeply personal, slightly embarrassing, a bit awkward. Running a race isn't meant to be easy. We need to help each other. And if that means opening yourself up and making yourself feel a bit awkward, so be it. There's a lot of joy in the Christian life. A whole lot of joy. We know Jesus. We know what he has done for us. We're clothed in his righteousness. We're confident of our acceptance with God because of him. And the challenge is this. Know it more. Enjoy it more. Help one another to grasp it more deeply. And as we do that, for each other, as we press on together, the world around us will see. Delighting in God and displaying his glory. Flip sides of the same thing. As we love Jesus more, we will show his glory more to the world. And he will be praised and worshipped as he deserves. Is that the most important thing to us? If it is not, let's pray. That is something only the Spirit can do in us, and we need his help.